Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. I believe that God's gonna use his word once again to encourage your heart in a special way. If you wanna know more about Shelter Cove, check us out at sheltercovelive.com. But again, I pray that God uses this message to encourage your heart in a special way today. Hey guys, welcome. Stoked to have you joining us today. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here. And I am just so glad that you're tuning in with us today, either online or upstairs in the event center. Hope you brought your Bibles out. In fact, meet me in James chapter five. If you do, grab your pen, notepad. Uh, if you're online, engage with us with our online community via the chat. Super excited for the message today in James chapter five. But before we jump into that, just wanna make sure you had the opportunity to receive the year-end letter from myself that we sent out about a week ago. In fact, if you didn't receive it and you'd like a copy, go ahead and text this number right here on the screen. We'd love to get you a copy so you can just be a part of what God's doing right here at Shelter Cove. Uh, God's done so many great things during this difficult year of 2020, and we've highlighted a bunch of those things, as well as how we can finish well uh, this year. We wanna be able to do really four things. We wanna be able to uh, put together a children's playground outside. We wanna enhance that. We love our kids here at Shelter Cove. We wanna do something for law enforcement. Law enforcement have been having a very difficult year, so we wanna be able to encourage them and uh, just bless them when different opportunities present itself. We want to make sure we have enough for December expenses and then start next year from a position of strength. So if you're able to do something, I just want to say thank you in advance. Uh, a lot of people, uh, we all know that this has been a difficult year. Uh, some people would say we're all in the same boat and, and I would pause and say that we're not. We're not all in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And I say that to be very sensitive. Uh, some of you have lost a job. Some of you have had your hours decreased, your pay decreased. It's been a very, very difficult year. And you find yourself maybe not being able to uh, give what you would like to. And I just wanna say, uh, we understand that more importantly, God does. But for others of you, uh, by God's grace, this year financially has been a huge blessing for you. And the Bible says that we're to give based upon how God has prospered. Uh, so again, wanna be very sensitive during this season. We're all in the same storm, not in the same boat. But my heart and prayer is that every single one of us would be able to give at least something, even if it's a dollar. And, and here's why. I want us, as we move forward, to focus on being a unified church where we are all in this together, where we are constantly putting aside our personal preferences, our own wants, our desires, that we are focused on the mission of reaching and raising authentic followers of Jesus, evangelism and discipleship, but not only that, we're focused on the one. And here's why, a divided nation, a divided country, a divided state, we, we need to have a unified church. Uh, I believe that that's how the power of the gospel is going to be unleashed through that. So again, thank you in advance. I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do this year and, and just love, love, love what God continues to do right here at Shelter Cove. James chapter five is where we're at today. And I love James, the half brother of Jesus. He just says it the way it is. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't take too much time. We're only covering six verses because it is action packed today. Now here's what we're talking about. We're talking about moving from greed to generosity, moving from greed to generosity. And this is so important because your life, my life will either be marked by greed or generosity. Now, often you will notice that greedy people are some of the most miserable people you know. Generous people are some of the most joyful, happy, blessed people you know. And here's why. Greedy people are focused on themselves. 
It's all, all about self. It's all about what I want, what I think, what I have. Generous people are focused on God and they're focused on others. And my prayer for you is the same prayer that I have for me today is that we would be a people individually and collectively where we are together taking steps to move from being greedy to being generous. And James is going to tackle some of that stuff right now. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is what James says. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat you your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We trust you. We need you. We want you. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our lives today, that you would speak to us directly. And God, I pray that you would help me. God, that you would fill me with your spirit, with your passion, with your truth, that you would use me to encourage my brothers and sisters today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we uh, live in a culture where there are warning signs all over the place. Warnings for when you're driving, warnings when you're maybe eating at a restaurant, uh, warning signs when you're at a theme park. And one of my favorite warning signs is at Magic Mountain. And there's this ride that goes up in a boat and all it does is go up and come down. And there's this bridge where if you walk across it and you're not careful, you will get soaked, you will get drenched. And I remember being there at Magic Mountain several years ago and watching people that would not pay attention to the warning signs that says, hey, you will get wet, you will get soaked, you will get drenched if you walk across this bridge at the, the wrong time, and watching them not pay attention and just get absolutely soaked, drenched, covered in water. In fact, there was one time I actually bought a popcorn, just sat down for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and just watched people as they wouldn't pay attention to this warning sign, just get flooded with water. And here's why I'm saying that, not just because it was funny, but James today is giving us some warnings. He's giving us some warnings about this desire for riches, this desire for wealth, this desire that ultimately comes from a life of greed. Now let me just pause for a second and remind us that there is nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having riches. We see that Abraham was rich. We see that Job was rich. We see that Solomon was rich. The Bible talks a lot about the desire to be rich. Uh, he says, it says in the scriptures that the, the desire and the love of money is the root of all evil. It says that you cannot love God and love money. We know that uh, money will never satisfy us. And you may be thinking, well, how do I know if I love money? Well, let me ask you just a couple questions. Do you think about money and riches and wealth all the time? Is it a topic of conversation when you hang out with friends and family? Are you constantly thinking and scheming about ways that you can make more money? Are you constantly consumed with the stuff that you've purchased over the last several years? Those are just some of the questions we can ask ourselves if we struggle with this love of money. Now, James is going to address different warnings that we need to ask ourselves if we struggle with this love of money or if there's greed in our lives. Point one in your notes is simply warnings about 
greed. And he starts off by saying this. He says, come now, you rich. Now, let me just pause there for a second, because a lot of us would say, he's not, he's not talking about me. But the reality is, is if you make $25,000, maybe $30,000, you're in the top 2% of the richest people in the entire world. And so that puts all of us in this understanding that we need to listen to what James is talking about today. Not only that, you can be very poor and still struggle with greed and discontentment in your life. But he's going to give us four warnings. The first warning is simply this. You're hoarding the perishable. You are collecting and gathering stuff that will eventually spoil. You ever been to somebody's house and opened their fridge and looked at the leftovers and seen mold growing all over it? Or went to grab a piece of cheese, maybe from your own fridge, and saw that there was mold growing on it, green color, brown color, all that kind of stuff. James is saying, hey, what you are gathering, what you are hoarding is stuff that will eventually waste away. Now, Back in James' day, there was really three things that really demonstrated wealth. It was grain, it was clothing, and it was silver and gold. And James is saying to these people, hey, this, this grain that you're gathering, it's going to spoil. If it doesn't spoil, often it would be eaten by rats, uh, but eventually it would waste away. Not only that, clothing would be eaten by moths. And one of the things that rich people would do is they would show off their many different garments, and they would have not just one or two uh, different outfits, which is what most people had. There would be several. And one of the most embarrassing things you could do as a rich person is walk around with any kind of clothing that was in any way moth-eaten. And the third thing that James says is that your gold, your silver, it's, it's corroded. It's wasting away. Now, why is James saying all this? Probably because he's just mirroring the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, where Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But the first warning that James is saying is, hey, you're storing, you're hoarding all of this stuff that eventually will waste away. You're putting your faith, you're putting your security in this stuff that is not going to satisfy you. And I wonder how different our lives would be if we just got to a point where we just sold everything that was in our garage that we haven't touched for years, sold stuff in our shed that we know is there that we haven't touched for years, where we really simplified our lives and got rid of so many of the things that are perishable and just taking up time, space, and energy. First warning is that you are storing up the perishable. Second of all, he says, is that your earnings are unethical. I love this. James says, hey, not only are you hoarding the perishable stuff that will waste away, but how you're getting it is unethical. And this is what he says. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I love this. Because James is being super blunt with these Christians. He's saying, hey, you're, you're hoarding stuff that's going to eventually waste away. And by the way, the way you got it in the first place is fraud. You're ripping people off. Oh, maybe you can't hear their cries, but God can. And several of you know exactly what he's talking about. 
Maybe you're a painter, maybe you're a contractor, maybe you're an electrician, maybe you're somebody that does work with an agreed amount and you have either been not paid or not paid the fair amount. You felt like you've been ripped off. That's exactly what so many of these Christians were doing that James is talking about. He's saying, hey, the way you're making the money in the first place that you're storing up and is wasting away is, is wrong. And we see this clearly in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, do not take advantage in Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 15, do not take advantage of the hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them the wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Here, here's what would happen. They would need that money every day just for bread, just for food. So when they were getting ripped off, when they weren't getting paid, not only was it unfair way to get money, but these other people were not able to eat. James calls them out on it. One of the things that I love about my parents is that in all the years growing up, living in their house for, you know, till I was 19, 20, 21, whatever, uh, I never saw them uh, rip anybody off. I never saw them use people. In fact, it was just the opposite. They weren't greedy, they were generous. And, and parents, I, I say that because your modeling for your kids is so important. You will either model greed or generosity that will impact your kids. And here's what I saw from my parents. Uh, not only was there a agreed upon price when a plumber would come out or a painter, uh, my dad would often give them an extra $20 bill. Uh, very generous. Uh, in fact, recently my, my parents uh, they gave the uh, person that does, does their lawn, they gave him a raise. He didn't ask for one. They just said, hey, you're doing such a great job. We're going to give you a raise. Anytime we went to restaurants, my, my, my dad, my mom, they'd never give stingy tips. I think that's one of the worst things that Christians can do is, is be very greedy or stingy with the chips. They would always be very generous. And so I say that because parents, again, we can model this for our kids because at the end of the day, not only will we, but our kids will either fall into that category of being greedy or being generous. Now, just a side note, some of you may ask, well, what's the right amount to pay and employ somebody? I want to give you a verse. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 9. It's a book about wisdom, and it talks about three words in the New International Version. It talks about knowing and understanding what is just, what is right, and what is fair. I think that's a great verse to understand how to pay somebody. And as Christians, we always want to do the best that we can to go above and beyond. So he gives them this warning, your earnings are unethical. Thirdly, you're living in self-indulgence. He goes on and says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. He's saying, hey, your life is all about luxury. It's all about self-indulgence. What is self-indulgence? It's a life that's all about you. It's all about what you want, how you feel. There's no filters. It's all about living for the here and now. You have fattened your life for the day of slaughter. What does that mean? Well, before animals were killed, they were often given a ton of food right before they were killed and eaten and all that kind of stuff. And he's saying, you are not living for eternity. Now, three points. Why, why is self-indulgence so dangerous? Three traps of self-indulgent living. Number one is the pleasure trap. What's the pleasure trap? It's a trap that focuses on how I feel. I'm just going to live in a way that focuses on how I feel. Proverbs 21, 17 says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. It's about how I feel. It's about 
spending money on credit cards because it feels good. It feels good to do this. It feels good to get this. It feels good to spend money on here. And that's one of the greatest ways we go into debt because we focus our lives on self-indulgence in a way that feels good. Trap number one. Second of all, not only do we have the pleasure trap, we have the pretending trap. What is a pretending trap? It's where we pretend that we have money that we don't actually have. Proverbs 13, 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. See, you can appear to be very wealthy and have very little and just be in huge debt. Or you can appear to be very poor and yet have a a ton of wealth. What James is talking about when it comes to self-indulgent living is, is, hey, there's different traps we can fall into when it's this self-indulgence. One of these is this pretending trap. You know, when I was... uh, 17 years old, I was learning to drive. I just got my driver's license and my parents would let me take uh, the car out, the family car. It was a a blue 1980 Ford Fairmont station wagon. It was rusted over. It looked disgusting. To this day, I believe that's why I did not have a girlfriend in high school, all right? But I would drive that car around and it would backfire. It would backfire all the time. I mean, you'd have people outside going on walks, doing their yards. People would be ducking. They'd get their kids to run in the house. It sounded like gunfire was going off. You probably would have real estate agents uh, showing people homes, neighborhoods uh, locally, and they'd be like, how's the neighborhood? They're like, nah, there's a little bit of gunfire close by. No, that was actually the vehicle I was driving, all right? But here's the point. My parents didn't buy into that whole mindset of pretending. They didn't pretend that they had more money. I wish they I wish they would have, don't get me wrong, because then maybe I would have had a girlfriend in high school, right? Just throwing that out there. Could have gotten a convertible or something like that, but my parents didn't buy into that trap. And it it impacted my life. Because when I would go out and marry my wife Kelly, we moved down to Southern California, we would uh, get an apartment. The apartment was only 540 square feet. I mean, it was the smallest rinky-dink ghetto apartment uh, probably I've ever seen. And we were happy with it. Why? Because we didn't want to fall into that pretending trap. We didn't want to go into debt. We realized that that's what we could afford at the time. The first point was the pleasure trap. The second point is the pretending trap. Thirdly is the popularity trap. And if we're not careful, we just want to look good. We want to look, just keep up with the Joneses. But again, James is saying, watch out for this trap of living in luxury and in self-indulgence. Lastly, what does he say? He says, you're ruthless towards others. It's the fourth warning. That not only are you somebody that's, that's just living in self-indulgence and all that, you, you are ruthless towards others. You have murdered and condemned the righteous person. He does not resist you. What were they doing? They were taking him to courts. They were taking these poor people to courts. These poor people couldn't even have enough money to pay for the attorneys. There's no way they were going to win the court case. And yet, what were these rich Christians doing? They were leveraging their finances. Why? To get more. Because they were greedy. Because they were money hungry. Now, now don't miss this. James is saying, hey, you're storing up all of this stuff that eventually won't last. You're ripping people off so you can use it for yourself. And then you're, you're ripping more people off. James is saying, hey, that's the mark of greed. That's the mark of a life that's all about self. Now, what I want to talk about now is, is that there is another way. There is a better way. 
Because you're going to either, again, be somebody that's greedy or you're going to be somebody that's generous. You know who the worst people to hang out with are greedy people. They're all about themselves. They're miserable. There's never enough. They always want more. Some of the greatest people to hang out with are generous people. Why? Because when you go to dinner, they buy your meal, right? No, I'm just messing. But they're just fun people to hang out with. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about you. It's about the people they're with. It's about God. So let's look at briefly three principles of generosity. Three principles of generosity. And, and I believe this first one's the most important. Number one in your notes is establish a generous mindset. Establish a generous mindset. Mindset matters. And, and we have to get this. There's three things that we have to understand when it comes to our mindset in generosity. Number one is that God owns me. God owns me. Somebody write that in the chat for me. God owns me. When we give our life to Christ, he, he calls the shots. Paul put it this way. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what were we bought with? The, the price of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that in our sin, in our rebellion to God, there's nothing that we could do to be right with a holy God. So what did God do? Because we couldn't go to God, God came to us. And he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to live a perfect life, a sinless life, to go to the cross. He took our sin upon himself. He gave us his righteousness so that we could be forever right with God. That is the beauty of the gospel. So we give our lives to Christ. We belong to him, which means we don't have to worry about what other people think of us. We don't have to worry about pleasing other people. Why? Because our lives now are covered in Christ. We belong to Christ. But not only that, we are not only saved from a life of sin. Don't miss this. We are saved for a life of sin that belongs to Jesus Christ. That means that, that Jesus now calls the shots. And a lot of Christians never get this because a lot of times we, we don't get to the point where when we understand that our lives belong to God, that we don't ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life? My life belongs to you. We focus on, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, but you're not doing anything right. You're, you're not being somebody that's going out and reaching lost people. You're not being somebody that's discipling people. You're not being somebody that's generous. And so often we, we don't understand that we're not saved just from something. We're saved for something. I'm getting all fired up right now. But the first thing we have to understand is that God owns me. Second of all, God owns all I have. So not only asking God, God, what do you want to do with my life? God, what do you want to do with your stuff? Because ultimately you own it. Psalm 24 Verse 1 puts it this way, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, everything in the world belongs to God. Your boat, it's technically not yours, it's God. Your car, your house, your clothes, your collectibles, everything belongs to to God. So not only when it comes to our life are we saying, God, what do you want to do with my life? When it comes to our stuff, which ultimately belongs to God, we're asking God, God, what do you want to do with your stuff? Because ultimately we see ourselves not as owners, but managers and stewards. But there's a third thing. Not only do, do we belong to God, not only does our stuff belong to God, but thirdly, God has given me everything I have. Everything we have is a gift from God. Again, Paul said to the church in Corinth, what do you have that you did not receive? So all that stuff we talked about late, earlier, your, your car, your house, your gifts, your abilities, 
It's a gift. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. Here's what this negates. This negates any opportunity for entitlement in any of us. Because everything we have is a gift from God. We deserve nothing. In fact, the only thing we deserve is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But God in his grace sent Jesus. The first thing that we have to establish when it comes to us developing this journey of generosity is this mindset that says, God, you own me. God, you own everything, and God, everything that I have ultimately is a gift from you. Second of all, we have to develop a generous attitude. Develop a generous attitude. And there's three different things. The first thing that we want to focus on is focus on contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is, is being good with what we have. It's having enough. See, there's one of two types of people in this world. It's either the people that focus on what they have or people that focus on what they don't have. Content people are thankful people. They're people that are filled with gratitude because they focus on what they have. People that are discontent, there's never enough, are constantly focusing on what they don't have. And this is so, so difficult in our culture because we live with so many different advertisements. You can't watch a YouTube a video these days without an advertisement popping up right in the middle. You can't scroll through Facebook or Instagram without an advertisement that's targeting what you looked at the night before and encouraging you. You've got to buy this. But here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I understand what it is to have a lot. I understand what it has. It is to have a little. That's the Jeremy version. All right. He goes on and says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's talking about contentment. Paul said later to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't miss that. The gain is not in more. The gain is in contentment and godliness. He goes on and says, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, that should be enough. In other words, you've got a burger and a t-shirt, you're good, right? Let me just be honest for a moment. I struggle with that. I, I want to get there, but, but I'm, not, I'm not to a point where I'm fully content because not only do I want a burger, I want french fries, maybe some onion rings, right? Not only do I want a t-shirt, I want the pants and the shoes that go with it. I am on this journey with you, but I am growing and want to become somebody that's content and generous, but it has to be an attitude, an attitude that says, I'm going to focus on contentment. Second of all, I'm going to focus on eternity. This is not our home. We can't take anything with us. We're going to focus on eternity. It allows us to live just kind of simple lives here. But thirdly, I'm going to focus on generosity. I'm going to focus on generosity. You know the greatest definition of generosity? It's found in the Bible. John 3.16. It's 12, 12 words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Generosity is a life that's focused on God and focused on others. And man, just preparing for this message this last week, it's, it's really working in my heart. And, and I'll be the first to admit, like I said earlier, I'm not there, but I, I'm realizing that my life will either be marked by greed or generosity. And I don't want to live a life of generosity for, for recognition. I don't want to live a life of generosity because it's like, oh, Jeremy, you're so generous. I want to live a life of generosity because I serve a God who's so generous. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week and maybe every week after that. Find somebody just to bless. Find somebody to be generous to. Maybe it's taking them to lunch. Maybe it's buying them new tires on their car because they look like they're a NASCAR driver and they've got no tread on them. 
I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, a widow and you want, want to just bless them. But let's be a people group that are generous. It's a generous mindset. It's a generous attitude. Let me end with this. It's a generous plan because it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. And there's three things that we focus on. We focus on give, save, and live. Those are the three points. And really, if you're doing a budget, you could do 10, 10, 80. The first part belongs to God. And if you've never stepped out in faith and given a tithe to God, I just want to encourage you to pray about doing that. God figures out, and God, by His grace, makes it work. My wife and I, Kelly, have been tithing uh, ever since we've gotten married. In fact, we, we do a little bit more than a tithe, uh, but we've always had enough. Uh, we haven't always had everything that we've wanted, but that's not the goal in life. The goal is to have everything uh, that God wants us to have and ultimately put him first. So to, to give, to save, because there's always those unexpected things that happen in your life, uh, but then to live, live off the rest. In just this last week, a couple days ago, my wife and I were, were talking and what we're going to start doing every month is we're going to start setting aside some money uh, a little bit each, each month just as a, a generosity fund where, where we just can bless people. This is an addition to our giving to, to the church and other things. But we, we just want to be a people that are growing in this journey of generosity. And maybe for you, you start with five bucks a month. And you just say, hey, once a, once a month, I'm just going to buy somebody coffee. I'm just going to bless somebody. Maybe it's a dollar. I don't know what it is. You can buy somebody a drink from McDonald's once a month. I don't know what it is. But, but let's start somewhere. And let's be a people group that are moving from greed to generosity. Again, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not there yet. But I want to be. I want to be a generous person. Not for the sake of Jeremy but when I'm a generous person, I'm more like Jesus. Here's a final thought that I just want to share with you. Final thought today is this, is make the goal of your life to be generous through your time, your talents, and your treasures. Make that the goal of your life, to be generous. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We seek you right now. God, we pray that you would infuse our hearts with a desire to be, to be generous. Because God, when we're generous, we're focused on You. When we're generous, we're focused on others. When we're generous, we realize that we're more like Jesus. God, for those that are struggling with finances, for those that have lost their jobs, God, I pray a, a special prayer of provision today for my brothers and sisters that are navigating a very difficult time during this season. God, we love you. Thank you so much for being a generous God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.